Atlanta founder Chris Maurice has one of the more fascinating founding stories that you'll ever hear. All before he co-founded Yellow Card app, Chris was ghostwriting for large publications like CNN, selling Bitcoin out of a Taco Bell in Auburn, Alabama while in college. And Chris even booked a one-way flight six days after graduation to Africa to immerse himself in the continent's crypto ecosystem. Today, Yellow Card is the premier cryptocurrency exchange empowering Africans to access cryptocurrency anywhere and everywhere across the continent. The company just announced a fresh injection of Series B funding totaling $40 million. I can promise you that this is one of the more insightful and entertaining conversations that we've had on the Atlanta Startup Podcast. Let's dig in. Before we jump into the episode today, let's quickly touch base on Venture Atlanta, one of the largest conferences in the country is just a few days away. The Valor team will have a table at the conference and we look forward to meeting you there. I will also be judging startup battle during the first night of Venture Atlanta. So whether you're coming from out of town or you're Atlanta based, drop me a note on LinkedIn or via email as I'd love to connect with you in person happening this month is also the Rays Global Summit in San Francisco. Valor General Partner Lisa Calhoun will be there in attendance. So if you'd like to connect with Lisa there, please also drop her note on LinkedIn. Now back to today's podcast. Chris, welcome to the podcast, man. Ah, it is good to be here, man. It is good to be here. You know, I'm so eager for this conversation, especially since you all just announced an incredible Series B funding round led by Polychain Capital. But, you know, we'll dive into that a little bit later in the conversation. I want to kick it off here with just, you know, a brief high level overview of what Yellow Card is and then want to talk about your background as a founder. Cool, man. Yeah. I mean, super, super high level. So uh, we are the largest crypto exchange on the African continent. So we operate in 16 countries, uh, all within the continent today. And you can think of the product very similar to Coinbase.com as opposed to Binance or Coinbase Pro or something like that, right? So very simple, user-friendly mobile experience. You come on, you load your currency in whatever locally applicable payment method works for you. So cash, mobile money, bank transfer, right? Buy Bitcoin, USDT, whatever you need. Works the same way in reverse. So you send money on chain, right? Send crypto on and then spit out Naira to a bank account in Nigeria, right? Spit out Quacha to a mobile money sim in Zambia. Just, uh, I mean, the, the idea is like, how do you make it as easy as possible for people to be able to access crypto, right? And access this technology. I love that. And you mentioned, you know, Nigeria, you all are, is it exclusively focused on Africa? Yes, yeah. So we're we're in sixteen countries on the continent. So we uh, we are exclusively focused on Africa, and then we partner with companies uh, that do cool stuff in other parts of the world to help sort of bring them into the continent, and and vice versa. Right. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that's interesting. I definitely want to dig into that a bit more. Tell us more about your background, your story, and your journey to entrepreneurship. Oh, man. I grew up in New Orleans. I think the journey to entrepreneurship started in fifth grade. I would have been maybe about nine at the time. I got access to my uh, to my dad's eBay account and I started flipping Pokemon cards. I actually, I continued to do that almost through college, right? I mean, that that's that's how I, Pikachu paid my way through school is what I like to say. So that's, uh, I, I literally paid my way through school selling like Pokemon cards on the internet and did that up until Yellow Card became a priority. 
I did a couple of other things, especially in high school. Um, I got into ghostwriting. I think I learned I learned very early from like the the Pokemon card business that the beauty of the internet is nobody like nobody really cares how old you are, right? So, so I was I was doing ghostwriting for I mean at one point like CNN and, and a number of other. Uh, different publications, right? And, and I would just, I would write these articles for, you know, whoever they would publish it in their name. Nobody ever asked who I was, nobody cared, right? I, I just, I was just on these freelance websites, uh, you know, doing these, uh, doing these articles and everything. It was also a big, sort of a big, like, uh, I guess, how do you say, like entrepreneurial venture for me, right? That, I uh, that again, just, I, that's, you know, that's how I was able to pay for college. So I went to, I went to Auburn, Auburn University in Alabama. And so I am about as Southern as it gets, right? I think going from, uh, from Louisiana to Alabama and then Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, well, well at Auburn, that's when I actually learned about crypto, right? And that's when I actually learned about Bitcoin. And so that would have been 2013, uh, actually. So I guess 2013 would have been before I was at Auburn. Yeah. Learned, learned about it from uh, my now co-founder, who's a big nerd, right? And so he's gouraging the, the web forums and everything back in the day and, and uh, you know, kind of came across this technology and just wanted, uh, he would talk to literally everybody about it, right? It didn't matter if you were some guy on the street or <laughs> like, he's just, all he wants to talk about is Bitcoin back then. So we talked about it quite a bit. I started, you know, started just researching into it, learning. And by 2015, I was, I was just fully down the rabbit hole, right? That was, that was, I was like, this is what I'm doing with the rest of my life. This is, this is fantastic. Should I just go all the way through yellow card? Is it? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's interesting. I would love to have you continue on because you're taking us literally from the journey of Pokemon to oh, ghost writing, to, to studying crypto while you were at Auburn and realizing <laughs> that's what you wanted to do to now thinking about yellow cars. So yeah, take us through the journey. Oh, we're, we're going from Charizard to Nigeria. This is uh, <laughs> this is a wild, it's a wild, wild winding road. So but in 2015, I'm, I'm fully down the rabbit hole, right? I, I, this is, this is what I'm doing with my life. My, uh, my first actual venture in crypto was uh, one day I was on eBay and I saw Bitcoin being sold on eBay for 150% markup. And Bitcoin was maybe 100, 150 bucks at the time, right? And people are selling it on eBay for three to $400. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, that's so weird. Like, I thought this was a currency. And so I sent, I sent the link over to, uh, to Justin and I was like, man, uh, check this out. You know, I know how to use eBay. You know how to use Bitcoin. Let's make some freaking money, right? This is, uh, you know, it's fantastic. And so, uh, we listed, we listed Bitcoin on eBay, uh, at a hundred percent markup, right? And we did in the first week, we did over $40,000 in sales at a hundred percent markup, right? So this is, this is more money than I've ever seen in my life, right? I'm going to call my mom, tell her I'm dropping out of school. I'm going to sell magic internet money for the rest of my life. That's when I learned what a credit card chargeback is. (laughs) Oh goodness. What I thought was like, what I thought was going to be like my retirement turned out, uh, turned out to just be a bunch of guys in, in Russia and India that were stealing cards on the dark web, <laughs> just running them until one of them hit. Uh, that's also when I learned just how irreversible Bitcoin is. For those of yeah. you that don't know, Bitcoin is very irreversible. <laughs> Once oh, yeah. you send it, there is no way to get that back. That sucked. I lost a lot of money. <laughs> I lost, like, like all of my trading card money. That was uh, all, all this, uh, this business that I've been building since I was like nine. Right. Pretty much all just went down the drain there, right? And, so how did you bounce back? 
Yeah, you know, through um, through some combination of insanity and intuition, I decided, you know what, still interested in the space, right? This has not deterred me from crypto. I, I'm still all in. We're going to figure out a way to make this work. And so, uh, you know, we uh, we put our collective brain power together and we said, okay, we're going to accept the only irreversible payment method known to man, which is cold, hard cash. We put out ads on Craigslist that basically said, we have Bitcoin, come meet us and give us your cash and we'll give you the Bitcoin. People started responding to the ad. And so we did the only thing that I think two reasonable college students in our position would do, which is every Wednesday at about 7 p.m., you could come to the Taco Bell on Gay Street in Auburn, Alabama. You can find Justin and I eating our Doritos Locos Taco 12 pack, and you could slap a couple hundred dollars cash on the table. We would scan your QR code and we'd give you Bitcoin. Wow. So you were selling yeah. Bitcoin out of a Taco Bell in oh, Auburn, yeah. Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it gets, it gets a little bit better than that. So uh, after about two weeks, we were like, holy shit, this is actually working. Am I allowed to curse? Uh, holy, uh, uh, unbelievable. This is actually working. And um <laughs> We start calling up friends at LSU, Yale, Georgia, Alabama, right? Any anywhere that we knew somebody from high school, and um, within within three more weeks, we had seven Taco Bells on the Eastern United States, all within college campuses, where you could walk in and buy Bitcoin. Hmm. And uh, it's we we're we're you know we're running this network for for maybe two and a half months. And one day we're talking, we said, you know, man, we should really do something less sketchy with our lives. And so <laughs> that was when uh, that was when Yellow Card was originally born, right? And uh, the initial idea was actually that we were going to put a gift card at CVS, Walmart, places like that. You'd be able to walk in, buy this gift card, redeem it for crypto. And so we we start building this out, and we get probably a year into this, right? So this brings us till like, let's call it late 2017, early 2018. One day, I'm at a Wells Fargo in Auburn, Alabama, of all places. And I meet this Nigerian guy who's trying to send 200 bucks to his family. And Wells Fargo charged him $90 to send 200 to his family in Nigeria. And I thought like, oh my God, right? Like that's that's absurd, right? right. I, I, I talked to this guy, hey, have you heard of Bitcoin? It's, it's free, it's instant, it's fun, all this great stuff. And essentially went home later and I, I just started thinking about this guy's family, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like, what on earth would his mom in Lagos, Nigeria do with $200 worth of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? Like, like we've solved the middle of the problem, but then like, you can't pay rent with that, right? You can't buy, for, even in San Francisco, you'd have a hard time, like, you know, yeah. we met Bitcoin for like real world value, right? And so I, I'm, I'm just thinking about this and I'm like, you know, this woman's problem is actually worse now because her money is stuck in cyberspace somewhere, right? And um, I don't think I knew where Nigeria was on a map at the time. Uh, they don't teach you nearly as much about Africa as you might think they do in the Louisiana education system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... I, uh, I, I just, I set out to learn everything that I could, right. I wanted to understand everything, right. I wanted to know what's the, what's the currency like, what's the banking system like, right. Why does it cost this much? What are, what, what are the factors that are going into this, right? Who, like who's lining their pockets off of this, or is it just like actually the cost of moving the, you know, the capital there, right? Yeah. I just, I start doing all this research and, um, while, while like really getting into it, I, I realized, you know, okay, like if I, if I really want to understand this. I need to talk to somebody from there, right? 
And so I, uh, I put out an ad online that basically said, looking to speak to Nigerian men, which in hindsight, I probably should have worded better. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, this, this guy reaches out, his name is Minachi. This guy reaches out and uh, we just, we, we strike up a conversation and um, I will, I will tell anybody that Nigerians are the most convincing people that you will ever meet in your life. Because within about a month and a half of meeting this random Nigerian man on the internet, he convinced me to go get my passport and take the first international flight of my life. I had been on a plane maybe four times in my life at this point. Mm -hmm. And this guy convinces me to go get my passport. And I I fly to Nigeria on a one-way ticket with no visa, no shots on a six-day-old passport. And after after a seven-hour ordeal of begging them not to deport me and to let me into the country... We, we finally get in and uh, didn't have enough money to get back. And so the options were either we make it work or we live in Nigeria for the rest of our lives. And yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so that's, wow. So uh, is... that's how we got started. That is so fascinating. So Fall by fire. Right. No, seriously. So you, you land in Nigeria on a six day old passport. You're facing deportation, but you. <laughs> And this man decide to make it work now. What happens next for you all? Yeah, I mean, so I am basically wandering the streets at this point, right? And um, you know, we had we had a hotel that we had sorted out beforehand. Uh, we had four guys sleeping on a twin bed in a hotel in a hotel in Lagos, Nigeria, and um, we were just spending all of our time just trying to understand what the market needs, right? And why, again, why does it cost so much money to move money here? And what is it that the market needs in order to, to improve that, right? And so, you know, we're, we're running around, we're just meeting with everybody that we can, right? We're meeting with people that know what Bitcoin is. We're meeting with people that don't know what crypto is. We're meeting with lawyers, we're meeting with bankers, we're meeting with literally anybody that would meet with us at the time, right? And eventually, eventually it, it kind of clicks like, okay, Africa doesn't need another remittance company, right? There's already like 50 million remittance companies that can send money for you. What it needs is it it needs a way just to be able to interface with crypto, right? And, and, you know, I, I, obviously I had been in the crypto space at this point for what, two, three years, right? And, And so I, I knew enough to know that, okay, Bitcoin solves these problems and crypto solves these problems. It just doesn't do so natively right uh, and so you know you need some way of actually being able to interface with it right and so that was that was sort of what we realized is like okay we don't we didn't come here to build a remittance company we came here to build on and off ramps right we came here to build like the ability for people to just be able to trade crypto period right yeah was crypto and widely so, known in africa uh in nigeria it had um it had taken off significantly more than the rest of the continent Right. And so at this point, at this point, it still was not very prevalent in the rest of the continent. Mm -hmm. Um, But Nigeria, like 20, I would say like 2016 on Nigerians really started getting into getting into the crypto space. Right. And now, I mean, Nigeria now is what, number three or four in the world in terms of countries using using the technology. Right. So um, it had, it had definitely it had caught on there more than it had anywhere else, right? And so um, we actually the trip coincided with um, what was the first crypto conference, or at least the first one that I'm aware of that was actually held on the continent, right? And so there was uh, like a like a Nigerian 
crypto conference going on. And so, yeah, it worked out, worked out perfectly. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's essentially what we realized. And so we realized like, you know, we're not, we don't, we're not building a company here for like people to, people in the US to be able to send money. We're, we need to build a company for people on the continent to be able to exchange. Right. So, cause again, like if that, if, you know, your mom in Nigeria receives that 200 bucks, like what is she going to do with it? Right. And so that was the problem that we actually need to solve. And so, um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's sort of, that's sort of what started like the, the pivot, right. That's what yeah. really started the pivot into like, okay, this is, you know, this is what we need to go all in on. Right. That's so fascinating. And so you all have this realization that there doesn't need to be another remittance company. But there needs to be this this platform where you can interface with Bitcoin and utilize it in various ways. So now you all are on the continent of Africa in Nigeria. I'm sure you're doing a lot of customer discovery, boots on the ground, talking with businesses, families, stakeholders. How does the company begin to to get traction and get its legs moving and, and get off the ground? This was 2018. So I, I went back four, uh, four days after graduating Auburn, actually. Um, so I had, when, when we started the company and we were doing it in the US, I dropped out because I went through my like, oh, I'm going to be a billionaire. Like, dude, I don't need college, whatever, right? I dropped out. That lasted for about a year. And then I was like, yeah, this shit's harder than I realized. I should probably like get an education. So <laughs> went back, ended up graduating. I graduated in what 2018. And, and four days after my graduation, I was on a plane to Nigeria. Um, and I think I told my mom about it when she was there for graduation. So she wasn't like, it, it, it's not exactly what like, you know, a mom wants to hear. Oh, mom, you know, graduate and go to Nigeria. See you later. <laughs> Going to go meet this guy I met on the internet. Right. Very. Uh, sounds very sketchy. It's... <laughs> there right and uh so that was that was 2018 uh and then for us it was i mean you know at this point now we're pivoting right and so it's like okay all of this work that we've put in to this point some of it is salvageable a lot of it is not right so we're we're pretty much starting over in terms of what we need to, what we need this system to be able to do or what we need the app to be able to do right we we start this pivot and we start uh, we start working on you know okay we need to build an on and off ramp right so from our position on the ground right we're going and you know we're, again we're going to banks we're getting accounts we're you know we're setting up a legal entity we're I, you know doing all the fun stuff right um, and then in the background uh, we're you know building out this technology for how do people actually exchange right. Um, and so that takes us until let's call that June of 2019. Yeah. June, June, 2019. So June, 2019 is when we actually launched. Right. And so like now it's actually out in market. Um, and it took us, it took us maybe a month and a half to do hundred K in, in transactions, which hundred K sounds like a lot of money, but in crypto, that's like, you know, like a drop. I mean, you know, when you look at like FTX and Binance, right. I mean, these guys do a couple billion dollars a day, right? So, like, hundred k right. is like a drop in the bucket. When but it it's a start. It's a good start. It's a start. It's a start, right? And so, yeah, it takes us. It takes us probably, yeah, like probably a month and a half to do our first hundred k, right? Just it, it's slow. It's just slow, right? Um, by November, though, right? So maybe like five months later, we're doing like hundred k a day. Right. And so it, you know, it's like, okay, now like we're starting to see something at least, right. It's not, you know, it's, it's not there yet, but we're starting to see something. 
you know, I think, I think when it really took off for us was COVID was when, when COVID, when COVID hit, uh, you know, again, we're, it's like, you know, we're kind of slowly growing. And then when COVID hit and, um, uh, how do you say, like, you know, there were lockdowns, people were looking, people, all of a sudden there was like a mindset shift and it happened, it happened here to a degree, but it happened here with different things, right? Like now remote working, it's like, you know, if, if a job is not remote, then I don't even want the job, right? <laughs> Whereas, you know, before there was sort of this expectation of going into the office, right? So that's sort of like the, the mental and, and mindset shift that happened like stateside, right? But in, in Africa, like the, the, the mindset shift that, that really started to occur is anybody in countries that were not yet really prepared for digital solutions or that were not really um, like huge fans of digital solutions, everything went digital, right? Because I mean, in most of these countries, you couldn't leave your house, right? They're full military lockdown in a lot of parts, right? And so, yeah, I mean, everything moves online, right? People need to, people still need to be able to eat. People need to be able to make money, right? And I mean, for a lot of these guys, it's like, you know, in, in Nigeria, for example, right, over 75% of people are self-employed, right? And self-employed is everything from like a guy that's like, you know, hustling, selling stuff on the street to, you know, like a, a startup or business or anything like that, right? And so, I mean, you're talking about like the majority of the population is just hustling, right? And, and you know, trying to, trying to, you know, make money to eat that day, right? And so people start looking for whatever they can find online to just be able to make, you know, money to be able to support themselves through the lockdown and everything. And that's, I mean, that's when, that's when crypto really took off there, right? And that's, I mean, that's when people started realizing like, oh man, with this, I can get paid from anywhere in the world, right? I can trade if that's what I'm into. I can, Man, there's, I mean, access to, you know, access to the dollar, which, you know, allows me savings and things like that. I mean, it just, it took off, it took off like crazy, right? I mean, so at that point, we're doing over a million dollars a day, right? I mean, so it, I mean, it just, it skyrocketed during COVID. Uh, and so that was, yeah, that was sort of, that was like the big sort of turning point for us. And then, um, yeah, so that's so fascinating how COVID was the, the true catalyst for growth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so you all raised, I think, Series A funding last year in the in the summer of 2021. And then you all just announced a few weeks ago, a few days ago, you know, Series B led by Polychain. You know, from mm-hmm. from that Series A to to Series B, what what were some of the things that you wanted to focus on as the CEO to get to that next level of growth almost in a year's time frame? Yeah, I mean, so I think um, once that money came in for the Series A, I mean, that was that was the first time that we have really had money, right? <laughs> right, because uh, we raised a seed round, which was what one point four or one one point five, mm-hmm. um, and that was in twenty twenty. That was like actually that was like right that was like right after COVID, right? So okay. that closed in. July of 2020. And that was off the back of, you know, the COVID growth and everything like that. Right. Right. Um, and, but like, you know, 1.5, it's like, if you've, if you've ever been in a startup, like it sounds like a lot of money, but it doesn't go nearly as far as you think it does. Right. And then, and then like when we raised the series A, it's like, Oh shit, we have some firepower now. Right. right? Like we, we could do some stuff here. 
Uh, and so that was, it was, that was really cool uh, because it, it gave us an opportunity to do, and, and like what, what I, what I made sure that we focused on was basically all of the stuff, you know, bigger companies have to worry about that smaller companies don't necessarily have to worry about. Right. So like making sure that we are registered in every country that we're operating in to pay taxes, right. Uh, catching up on payroll taxes, right. That we didn't even know we were saying, we never even, never even crossed our mind. Oh, we need to pay those. Right. <laughs> Uh, like trademarks, right? Uh, you know, actually having a compliance team, right? Actually having a legal team, right? Um, yeah, yeah, it just, it allowed us to focus on like the stuff that we needed to set up to be able to scale and to mm-hmm. be able to, to really grow, right? And so we set up, uh, we brought on um, uh, Mandy, our, our chief compliance officer. She was, she was before uh, uh, she was running all of, all of MoneyGram for Africa on the compliance side, right? So, uh, you know, we brought her over and she set up an extremely robust KYC and anti-money laundering and all of that, right? Um, we brought on we brought on a legal team, right? Uh, the the lawyer that actually set up the company in Nigeria originally. We called her up and we were like, "Hey, we need you. We need you full time, right? We you know we got a lot of we got a lot of stuff going on, so." Uh, we brought her on, um, and it, it it allowed us to do that in all of these countries, right? So in all 16 countries that we operate in now, we have legal entities, we have offices, we have employees, right? We have we pay our taxes, right? We have our own bank accounts, um, and it it allowed us to it allowed us in a way it allowed us to really become a real company, right? As opposed to like a startup. Uh, not that we're not still very much a startup. <laughs> But, you know, it allowed us to do like some of those things that you just don't have to worry about when you're right. small. Right? Yeah. So, so you focused on a lot of the, you know, the core things, trademarks, getting a compliance team in place. And so you've seen this, yeah. this spectrum of entrepreneurship from literally since you were five years old, but now you're actually doing it in a startup fashion. You're venture backed, you know, you've seen a lot. And so I want to ask you for some of the, lessons learned or nuggets of wisdom that you can share with other founders who are maybe at the seed or series a stage wanting to take their business to that next level of growth you know what what is the advice that you would give them i think the first like in terms of like mistakes that we've made and things that we've learned from the first would be the first would be that if you if all you're focused on is fundraising you're not going to accomplish anything. You're not going to, like, nothing's going to happen if all you're trying to do is raise money. And like, it took us, it took us two and a half years to actually pull down that seed round, right? Because the moment we had this concept, you know, we talked to like the two people that we knew that had ever started a business, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. Like you, you guys need to raise money, right? Like that's, that's always, that's the first thing people always tell you as an entrepreneur. It's like, oh yeah, like you guys need to, you know, you need to, you know, build something so you can, you know, raise some money. And uh, it's like, yeah, like th- that helps quite a bit, right? Like having, I mean, having the capital, uh, you know, obviously makes the, makes a lot of things possible that otherwise would not be. But if that's all that you focus on, it, it just does, it's not going to happen. Right. right. <laughs> that was, that was the big thing that we learned. I mean, we spent like me specifically, I spent like a lot of that first two years just trying to raise money, right? Just constantly talking to investors and pitching and, and running around and doing this and doing that and racking up probably fifteen thousand dollars in credit card debt, right? Wow. <laughs> and um, uh, and it, it none of it worked, right? None of it worked. We didn't get any. 
any money, right? We got maybe we got like a little bit, right? I think we had what maybe like a hundred and something k total that we had mm-hmm. raised, and that was a combination of like investors and then or like angels and then uh, like competitions, startup competitions, and all that. And it's draining, man. It's like yeah. if if all you're doing is just constantly pitching and preparing to pitch, it's like you don't actually have time to build. Yeah. That was, I mean, you know, and yeah, I, I decided this is, this is, I, I vividly remember it because I was sitting in a, sitting in a $15 a night hotel in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, uh, with like roaches and shit running around in the bathroom. And I was like, all right, you know what? I'm done. We're not going to raise any money. We're just going to grow this and, and like make our own revenue. It's like, we're, we're in a, like, I was like, I, I can see that we're going to be in a position to do that, to actually generate revenue. So that's what we're going to focus on. Like screw all this other stuff. Right. We, and, and so, and it, the thing is, is we had been doing that the whole way. Right. Cause it's like, we didn't have any money. So it's like, we couldn't operate at a loss because we didn't have any money in the first place. Right. right. So right. it was like, either we had to generate revenue or not exist. And so, um, yeah, like I'm, I, I'm just, I'm sitting there. I was on a call with this investor group and it just clicked. I was like, these guys aren't going to give us money. It's like, you know, I'm telling them I'm going to sell Bitcoin in Nigeria. I was like, I'm raising literally every red flag possible. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> and so, and so um, yeah, like that, at that point, I completely stopped, completely stopped focusing on fundraising. All I would do is I would send out a monthly update mm-hmm. to, you know, like my email list, which included investors and stuff like that. And um eventually polychain um who this was what like six months later now so november that brings us to like may like six months later polychain who had told us no twice already uh emails me back and they're like hey you know we've been getting these monthly updates and the traction is wild like let's you know let's have another conversation and you know eventually they yeah ended up leading the leading the seed and uh and, and kind of going from there and so that's i mean that that would be like in terms of advice it would be don't focus like fundraising should not be your focus. And I, and, and like, I know better than anybody that like fundraising is a full-time job, right? Oh, yeah. it's, like it, it is exhausting and it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and follow up and everything. Right. But if you're in the early stages before you have anything to really show, it's, it's tough. Like unless, and like, I, cause I didn't have any connections or anything coming out of like, I, I didn't know anybody. Right. I didn't know any VCs. I didn't, I, didn't, I had no idea where to start. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, you get, you get, you know, the, the few intros that you can through like Auburn's network and that's it. Right. And, and so it's like, you know, I'm not like, you know, I know that there are people out there that can, you know, call up like Sequoia and, you know, they'll, they'll write a, you know, $50 million check for your, you know, not even registered yet company, but yeah, it's like, exactly. we just weren't in that position. Right. And so it's like, if you're, if you're in that position, just be realistic about the position you're in. It's like, nobody's going to, nobody knows me well enough to just give me money. So I, we just need to build it. We need to show them that it works. Right. And once we, once we realize that, and once they, like, once I shifted the focus completely towards that, everything changed. Right. Yeah. And uh, the old, the old saying is very true. Once you don't need money, that's what everybody wants to give you. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that's very true. Um, so, but that would that would be one. I think the the only other thing that I would say in terms of in terms of advice is that um, everybody that's building with you, especially everybody in the trenches, deserves a piece. And something that we did recently, and I I believe we're one of the only fintechs on the continent that's actually done this, is we gave everybody on the team equity. All two hundred and fourteen people on the team have have equity of some sort, right? Yeah. And like, that's, I, th- I think that it's, I think that it's extremely important to make sure that 
everybody, everybody that's building with you, everybody that's on the team should have those incentives aligned. Right. And, you know, look, I, you know, for like some of the, you know, like, you know, like lower level, lower tier employees, it's, you know, it's not going to be enough to retire on. But, you know, what we tell everybody when we gave them this is like, I guarantee you this will be the best payday of your life if this yeah. works out, right? It's, it's, you might not be retired, right? But like, it's it will be the best payday of your life, right? And so it's, yeah, I mean, like, align incentives, that would be, that would basically, that, that that's what it comes down to as, as sort of the other one is like align incentives and make sure that everybody, everybody like in the family is eating, right? Yeah, that's incredible. So the entire team has equity now in the company as you and your, your your team thought about that decision that's that's pretty significant you know what what went into that you you know you want to align incentives for everybody some companies aren't in a position to do that but i'm sure that was a you know not an easy financial decision to make but i think it's probably going to be worth it from your viewpoint in terms of retention company morale um, and overall well-being of your team I would say every company is in a position to do that because, because equity is not cash, right? Um, and so every company is in the position to do that. Um, you do you dilute yourself as the founder, right? It's, right? it's not like, it's not cash that's like, cash is totally different, right? Like when people, like when people used to ask, like in the early days, um, and it's, it's wild that like some people didn't take us up on this, but like in the early days, like people would ask for a raise. It's like, how about 1% of the company instead, right? Because it's like, we don't have any money, right? And uh, in hindsight, it's like, oh shit, I can't believe people didn't take us up on that. But, yeah. you know, it's, you know, they wanted the cash, right? Um, but cash is so, cash is so different than equity, right? And it's, 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 it, there is a balancing act, right? Because in when you're starting out, cash is significantly more expensive than equity, right? Because the company's not really worth anything when you're starting out, right? I mean, it, like it has a valuation, yeah. right? But like, you know, that's like, let's be honest, right? Right. <laughs> it's, you know, it's like yeah, two people with a PowerPoint, right? So, um, uh, but then like, as it, as it grows, like that cash becomes so, so much cheaper, right? And so like cash is significantly cheaper for us now than, than equity, right? And so, right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's like, it's not when you, when you, when we were thinking through it, it's not so much, it's not so much a company decision. It's, it's more of like a, personal decision, right? It's like, man, like how much of the company that like I started and and like, you know, mm-hmm. sweated through all of this crap that I've gone through, right? Like how much of this am, am I willing to give up? Right. And and I think um when we when we thought about it, it's uh the the big thing that like that like I kept saying is and and I still I still believe this and I would I would stress this this I guess this kind of goes in in terms of like advice to to founders would be you should never give equity to anybody unless you think that they make that equity more valuable. So like, if I'm going to give you, you know, 2% of the company, if I don't think that you're going to increase the value of the company by 2%, then I shouldn't give you that. Yeah. I like that. I like that. And so like, that's, that's sort of the way that, that, you know, we were thinking about it. It's like, and, and, you know, we, we thought about it and it's like, look, this team, it's like with the team that we have, it's like, they are the ones that are going to, you know, it's like, I can only do so much at this stage. Right. In the early days, it was like me and a few people doing literally everything. Right. But now it's like, I can't do everything by myself, right? We have a, you know, full ass customer support team. We have ops, we have legal, we have everything, right? And so it's like, if, if everybody on the team's incentives are not aligned, 
yeah then it's not going to grow and it's like uh yeah i mean it's like you know would you rather 100% of nothing or you know <laughs> yeah you know so yeah it makes sense no i love that philosophy chris and you know as we're wrapping up the conversation here you all just raised 40 million dollars in series b funding uh led by polychain so congratulations there what's what's next for you all looking ahead for the rest of 2022 and 2023 and beyond yeah uh i think the the big focus for us right now is more on the product side so i think after the after the a and even a little bit before the a but then really after the a um we were in a position to really focus on uh how do you call it geographical expansion right and so that's how that's how we were able to get into some of these more difficult countries right that's how we were able to launch in dr congo that's how we were able to launch in uh uh, I, you know, Cameroon and Cote d'Ivoire and, and like uh, Francophone Africa and, and stuff like that, right? It's because we, mm-hmm. we had sort of those access to resources. Now all those countries are launched and it's like, okay, we're in sort of the, the big economic markets that we want to be in. So now how do we, how do we just, how do we go deeper, right? And so I think for, for us, it's really going to be product for, for the rest of the year. Right, and so we have several product initiatives that are coming out uh, that are that are going to launch in, in Q4, uh, and so we're we're really excited about that. Right, it's it's you know how do we make it easier for people to be able to do what they're doing with crypto, which is largely payments, international payments, savings, remittance. How do we make that easier for people? Mm-hmm. Um, well, in some cases, abstracting the crypto layer, right? Because I, I think uh, I think the other thing, you know, like speaking specifically about the industry, is it, it gets very easy. To get in this echo chamber of like uh, crypto's crypto's going to change the world and, and and all this and it is right and crypto is very actively changing the world right. Um, however, my mom is never going to use crypto. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like it's it'll it'll be a cold day in hell before I come back and she's like, can you show me how to use this Coinbase wallet? Right. <laughs> like and so um, and so. You know, when you when you think about that, it's like that's not that's not a that's not a unique position, right? There's a mm-hmm. lot of people out there that are just not going to use it, right? Because they don't want to bother to learn it, or they're stubborn, or any other number of reasons, right? It scares them, or it's like you know, it's not safe or whatever, right? And it's like, especially when you think about it in the context of Africa, where like access to financial services is already limited like be punished because they're afraid to use crypto or because they don't know how to use crypto or because they don't want to figure out how it works. Right. And it's like, no, they shouldn't. Right. So how do we, how do we make access to payments and, and things like that easier for those people while still using crypto on the back end, Right. And so that's, that's really the philosophy when we think about new products is like, how do we use this core exchange infrastructure that we built and then just abstract that and essentially change the front end, right? How do we keep the back end, change the front end, right? Yeah, no, I love that. I'm excited to see how the product continues to evolve. And you all are such a fascinating story. This was one of the more vivid and entertaining interviews on this podcast that we have. And I know our audience will, will certainly appreciate, you know, your level of, of depth and detail that you went to to launch this company to scale this company and, and build Yellow Card as intentional as possible. So Chris, I greatly appreciate your time this morning and looking forward to seeing you all continue to grow and become a unicorn next, man. 
Uh, we're going to do what we can, my brother in Christ. We're going to make it work. <laughs> I love it, Chris. Thank you so much for joining me today, man. Take care. We're thrilled to have you as an Atlanta Startup Podcast listener. To help you get the most out of the experience, let me invite you to three insider opportunities from our host, Valor Ventures. First, want to be a guest on this amazing show? Reach out to our booking team at atlantastartuppodcast.com. Click on Booking. It's a no-brainer from there. Are you raising a seed round? Valor definitely wants to hear from you. Share your startup story at valor.vc forward slash pitch. Are you a woman or minority-led startup? Valor's sister program, the Startup Runway Foundation, gives away grants to promising startups led by underrepresented founders. The mission of the Startup Runway Foundation is connecting underrepresented founders to their first investors. Startup Runway finalists have raised over $40 million. See if you qualify for one of these amazing grants at startuprunway.com. O-R-G. You can also sign up for our next showcase for free there. Let me let you go today with a shout out to Startup Runway presenting sponsor, Cox Enterprises, and to our founding partners, American Family Institute, Truist, Georgia Power, Avanta Ventures, and Innovators Legal. These great organizations make Startup Runway possible. Thanks for listening today and see you back next week.